Welcome to the Chronically Courageous Podcast. I'm your host, Bonnie Howard. Since I was a child, I've had chronic pain, yet was told time and time again that it was all in my head. So I pushed through my symptoms and I built a successful career until I found myself crouched on the floor of my office, barely conscious. After finally getting a diagnosis, I had to learn how to embrace the life I've been given as fully and happily as possible. Now, it's my mission to help you do the same. Join my guests and I each week for inspiring stories and tips on navigating the complexities of chronic illness. Together, I believe we can move forward with courage, passion, and purpose. Welcome back to the Chronically Courageous, everyone. This week I have with me a very special guest. It's my own personal neurologist, Dr. David Saperstein. And Dr. Saperstein is the founder and director of the Center for Complex Neurology, EDS, and POTS. So he treats several of the conditions that I have and has been responsible for a couple of my diagnoses and some great care. Dr. Saperstein, I'm going to see if I can get through this without stumbling, but um, he's got quite a few accolades. Dr. Saperstein is a medical doctor, board certified in neurology, neuromuscular medicine, clinical neurophysiology, and electrodiagnostic medicine. That's a mouthful. So clearly he's, he knows his stuff. And I will say on a, um, on a more personal note, Dr. Saperstein is one of the most compassionate doctors that I've ever had the pleasure to work with. And I've had a lot of doctors, so that's saying a lot. He, he really has such a, such a kind and compassionate approach. And I never feel rushed when I'm speaking to him. He always gives me the time to really express what, uh, what I'm going through and really takes time to address each patient as an individual and really listen to what they have to say. So I'm very, very honored to have you on the show today, Dr. Saperstein. Welcome. Thank you. So can we start just um, real quick by talking about, so when I first encountered you, you were working in kind of a larger practice. And more recently, I believe just, uh, was it 2019, I think, you started the Center for Complex Neurology? That's exactly right, yes. Okay, great. So can you just explain to the audience what was the impetus for you starting the, the Center for Complex Neurology? Sure, sure. So that you're right. I was in a, um, a group practice of, of, with other neurologists and uh, had been doing that for many years. Um, my, I had been uh, focusing on nerve and muscle conditions, uh, especially peripheral neuropathy. And then through a number of <laughs> reasons and ways, over the last five years or so, I had gradually started getting more involved with um, this condition called POTS and other disorders of uh, the so-called autonomic nervous system. We, we started doing uh, detailed testing for that in our, in our office and, and again, seeing more patients and uh, led me to start seeing patients with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and uh, conditions related to that. And, you know, not as, as you and your viewers can attest to, not a lot of uh, practitioners know a lot about that. Fortunately, that's changing and more people are learning. And, you know, I, I was, had, had, all, had some familiarity with this um, 
having a, a sister who's a geneticist and actually my best friend from medical school is a geneticist. And so they sort mm -hmm. of uh, were able to give me some insight when I was first starting. Uh, again, traditionally these EDS is something that just geneticists, not just, but largely geneticists dealt with. And um, I had a patient who I uh, identified as having EDS and she started a patient support group and she started directing patients my way and I would see more and more and then, you know, one day I'm like, well, I'm seeing a lot of these patients. Well, what am I doing? And then I realized as I was seeing them, well, now I've, I've sort of figured out what to do with them. You know, I know the questions to ask. I know the problems to, to look out for. So uh, I, I should keep doing this. And then I, you know, read and learned and spoke with other colleagues and, and, and learned more about it. And, and I, I, I came to realize that, you know, seeing a complicated patient population like this, trying to deliver the uh, care that I wanted to just uh, wasn't working well in a conventional practice setting. What I was doing in terms of the patients I was seeing was just very different from what my partners and colleagues were seeing. And so it, you know, that and a number of reasons, it seemed to make the most sense to to start our own center, which as you said, we did, we started at the beginning of 2019. I have uh, some physician assistants that work with me and a great team and we're able to, uh, you know, uh, provide diagnostic and, and treatment care for, for patients with these complex disorders. Wonderful. So what, you know, the complex disorders, what attracted you to that? What made you want to delve into that field? Well, I, I, I had always been interested in complex conditions. And as I said, you know, my, I had always subspecialized and worked with less commonly appreciated and more, more complicated conditions. So, you know, when, you, when, you, when you're trying to figure out a name, you know, you, you're thinking, you know, we tried to think of, well, because making the point that I didn't deal with all of neurology and just sort of having center for certain types of neurological conditions just didn't roll off the tongue. Right. And I realized, well, it's complex. Uh, and so we, we sort of started with that. And initially, the idea was to sort of have a center called the Center for Complex Neurology. And then within the same practice, have another center called the Center for BDS and POTS. And then mm. realized, well, that seems like a lot of work and websites. And how do you <laughs> right. how do you answer the phone? And then I just said, oh, I get it. And I just call it the Center for Complex Neurology, EDS, and POTS, and uh, so yes. we, we combine that all together. And so I, I, so I still continue to see, you know, complicated nerve and muscle conditions, and uh, of course EDS. And there's a lot of neurological issues with that, although I find myself dealing with a lot of non-neurological issues because it's hard to find other physicians who, 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 who do deal with it or, or you know, understand it. And then of course POTS. Uh, POTS is one of those interesting conditions where it's sort of shared among neurologists and cardiologists, and they're sort of, mm -hmm. that makes sense for, for each of those professions and certainly overlaps with other conditions that each of them see. You know, it seems like almost every day, maybe not quite, but, but certainly very frequently we're learning more and more about problems that can befall the, the individuals who have EDS and POTS and conditions like that, and so unusual types of headaches, unusual of uh, spinal abnormalities and so uh, it always made sense 
in a, in a broad way that, that as a neurologist, I was seeing these patients, you know, since there was so much migraine and, and there was neuropathy and of course the autonomic nervous system problems of POTS and so forth. But then it makes even more, more sense or it's more uh, fitting and, and appropriate and uh, certainly it helps me draw from more and more of my background as a neurologist, you know, uh, dealing with these headache syndromes that are even more complicated than migraine and, um, you know, sussing out and figuring out the way to diagnose sort of um, what sort of spinal or other neurological issues could be could be present or not present. And so it's, uh, it's been very gratifying to, uh, to be able to be helpful in this regard. And, uh, you know, you just sort of get set on the path of doing something and you look up and you're like, oh, okay, oh, yeah, okay. This you kind of followed that nudge that you got there. There was, I think, I believe that everything happens for a reason and we're kind of led down a certain path for a reason and you listen to that and boy, am I grateful you did. <laughs> Because you, you've made a lot of things that never made sense in my life make sense to me. And now kind of I can put together my whole puzzle and have a starting point of where do, where do I begin to fix all this? So thank you for yeah. that. Really appreciate You're it. Welcome. It's, it's been a wild ride to use that trite phrase, but um, it's very interesting, you know, every day sort of diagnosing or, or managing something that a handful of years ago, it just wasn't even on my radar. Or worse still, um, I'm identifying things, you know, every day, literally every day, I'm like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. is this identifying things that just a few years ago, as a neurologist, I would have, my training would have driven me to say that it was psychogenic or, uh, you know, mm-hmm. ID or something. And uh, it, it, yeah. I, I, I just look back in amazement of how, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but we'll say just naive or, uh, or, or short-sighted, you know, we in the medical profession could be and when we don't understand something. I guess, you know, it's hard to make sense of something when you don't understand it. So it's great that we are understanding more. We certainly have a long way to go in fully understanding these things, but it's, it's gratifying to see, obviously on both ends, gratifying for me and the patient that we can find more satisfactory answers and, and certainly... Uh, more importantly, find treatments. Definitely. And, you know, and uh, just one more, one more kind of compliment and statement of gratitude toward you is, you know, thank you for kind of putting the ego aside. I've seen, I've met with a lot of doctors and they don't want to believe their patients. And I've been one of those people that for years I was told it was a psychological issue and it's anxiety and let's give you some antidepressants and, and anxiety medicines and everything will be fine. And that was never the case. And, you know, until I started to have things that were dire, I mean, I think probably one of the first things was I had paralysis in my right arm. And, you know, even going to the emergency room, not not being believed and, and being told it was a strained neck until finally they saw it 24 hours later, I couldn't move my arm. And, you know, my spinal cord was compressed. And it's like, you know, it's, it's so frustrating to, you know, to not be believed for all those years. So to be validated, that in and of itself has been so healing for me just to have that validation that, no, I'm not crazy. I didn't make this all up. I'm not, you know, I don't have Munchausen syndrome. This is, this is real stuff. And to get that kind of acknowledgement, I think, you know, I know for myself and, and for other people that I've talked to has been incredibly healing. So again, thank you for, for your compassion and for your, 
you know, just, just treating us all like we're, like we're human beings and not putting yourself on a, you know, a pedestal above. And I, yes, you have all these wonderful degrees and, and knowledge and everything. And I, and I so respect that, but you take the time to really listen to us as individuals, even if, even if we're not medically trained. So you actually put out a video recently of kind of advising or like what you've seen in, in clients and the fact that a lot of doctors were very much against Googling symptoms and looking on the internet and trying to find answers. And I loved what you said, you know, you were just like many times when patients come to you, they, they kind of already know what they have because there are so many resources out there. And while some of them are not necessarily reputable resources, there's such a culmination of knowledge out there in a lot of these support groups and things that, you know, we may be seeing, a, you know, hearing from a doctor indirectly from the Mayo Clinic or, you know, the Cleveland Clinic or some of these highly reputable institutions, even though we're not necessarily seeing them, but we're getting the same information via all these different uh, conversations that we're having online. So it's, it's, a, it's a great resource. And thank you for, for recognizing the power of that. So let's get into the reason that I wanted to have you on today was because you're working with something called Calmare Therapy, C-A-L-M-A-R-E for the listeners. So I was so intrigued. I saw a social media post on your website and or on Facebook, and I saw that this is a non medicinal, non-surgical way to help with pain relief and that you've seen some dramatic results. And I think in the chronic illness community, chronic pain is certainly one of the most bothersome, most common symptoms. So I love to bring solutions like this to my audience and let people know about things that they may not have heard of. And of course, for my own selfish reasons, I'm curious to learn more about it. Dr. Saperstein, can you start by kind of telling us a little bit about the therapy and what it is, what it does, how it works. Sure, be happy to. So yeah, it's Calmare. It's a it's it's a brand names of of what also goes by the name Scrambler therapy is, is what it had been called. And uh, right as of right now, Calmare is the only company that makes a Scrambler therapy device. They're based out of Italy. Uh, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> beforehand Bonnie was asking me if we're pronouncing it right I'm, I'm not exactly certain um, I mean I think the Italian pronunciation you know is, is different but yeah, I think a lot of people call it calmer uh, I guess it, it's Italian for calm or calming but it's an interesting approach I mean most people you know when they're first asking me about it or saying you know they're familiar with things like tens and they're like is this a tens unit is this something along those lines which uh, a tens unit, you know, the idea is to sort of send electrical signals that uh, distract or, you know, they sort of stimulate certain nerves and therefore block the pain signals. And so the scrambler therapy of Khmer has a whole novel approach. I guess it was invented, my understanding, it was invented by like a biophysicist, so he, using uh, certain concepts. So basically it's, re, it's retraining the brain or, or to use... Uh, you know, scientific terms uh, deals with neuroplasticity. So the idea is to, you know, somebody's had some sort of nerve injury. So the injuries out in the nerve, they, uh, you know, have a tr an injury to a nerve, or they have an infection that injures a nerve, or they have a medical condition like neuropathy that causes nerves to become damaged, and and those damaged nerves, you know, start sending off inappropriate signals, and and. Uh, all too often, those inappropriate signals are pain signals, and it's just 
telling the brain that, you know, that the foot is on fire or the foot is being cut or stabbed or all sorts of inappropriate signals. And so uh, through not to, to a relatively small number of treatments that Calmera therapy will sort of get the brain to stop seeing those signals as painful and recognize them as normal. And uh, it's just amazing how that works and the physics is, and the engineering certainly beyond me. But the, the long and the short of it is the reason that's called scrambler therapy is it has an algorithm where it, it basically scrambles or sends uh, different signals. So it, it changes. So sometimes the, the electrical signal feels one way or and then it'll feel a different way. And so by altering the pulse frequency, duration, different aspects of the stimulation, it, it, it basically gets the throws the brain off guard and, and gets the brain sort of seeing things in a different way and, and it helps it. I mean, similar to TENS and other think devices like that, it uses elect, you know, we stick on electrodes that we connect wires to. And then as with a lot of things, you know, the devil's in the details, where where and how to place the electrodes is is the key to this this therapy. And so again, to contrast it from something like TENS, we want to and we need to put the electrodes outside of the area that's affected. So a lot of patients come in and they're like, my foot hurts. And they're just thinking we're going to slap that electrode right on their foot. And, and actually want to get the electrode sort of above where the pain is, kind of like in those old, you know, Westerns, oh, we got to hit the bad guys off. So the idea is to sort of, you know, intercept the signals or send the Calmer signal up to the brain so they're getting to the brain be ahead of the pain signals and sort of, you know, redirecting the brain to, to how it thinks about the pain coming from that way. So the first session, the, the trickiest one and most time intensive to figure out where to put the electrodes or if there's going to be some placement of electrodes that, that will help. So um, we learn interesting things. If we put the electrode that in, that's part of the area that's damaged, then it then it'll actually can cause pain and discomfort. Mm. And uh, you know, you move the electrode just an inch. I mean, literally, you can move it just an inch in another direction, and then the pain or the uh, sensation experience of the patient goes from it being a prickly, painful sort of sensation to like, oh, it just buzzes now. And and, and that's mm. the goal. And so, the, one of the amazing things about Calmer is that we generally will know in the first session. Uh, if it's if it's going to be helpful, so that's there. It's really hard. One of the hardest parts, quote unquote, is is uh, you know, kind of changing patients' expectations because they're they're thinking, well, all right, you know, I've had these symptoms for a long time, and you know, I'm probably you know, I don't expect that I'll see anything the first treatment, and maybe it's going to take several treatments before we'll be able to tell if it's going to help because mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. that's. Maybe they've done other treatments that have been along that uh, along that model, along that concept. And the other thing is, it's like, all right, it hurts a little bit, but I can take it, crank it up. And uh, so again, the goal the goal isn't to crank it up. And the Calmel machine is interesting because it's very very analog. I mean, it's a sophisticated piece of equipment, but it has knobs. You could do you could oh. have buttons, but for some. For some reason, they chose to have dials, like from an old Wi-Fi, uh, you know, That's old funny. stereo device. Thing. Right. And it, it is interesting when you're working with it, because then you take the little knob and, and you dial it. And, um, you know, the goal is to find the setting that works. But uh, 
again, you don't want it to be uncomfortable. You want it to be mm. enough. And what, and what we find happens in patients who, you know, in most patients where this treatment's going to work for them is that they can't feel the pain anymore. So, you know, you start with, okay, your pain, and we'll say, what's your pain now? And they're like, I can't really focus on the pain. The pain gets lost. And that's mm -hmm. the idea that it gets, you know, these weird sensations, um, of alternating, fluctuating sensations, you can't feel it. And then one would think that the instant you turn the machine off, well, okay, now my pain is just going to go exactly and immediately back to where it was. And that's, that's almost never the case. So that's the amazing thing. So the first session, somebody may, they may be pain-free or they may not be pain-free, but their pain would be 50% or, you know, a significant amount reduced. And then wow. you stop the treatment and it stays at that reduced level. It may stay that way for only an hour. It may stay that way for a few hours. And then hmm. um, it is a multi-treatment process. Generally, it takes on average about 10 treatments or so. And then, you know, the person comes back the next day and we say, how long were you pain-free? And they're like, oh, I was pain-free for a couple of hours. I went to Home Depot and walked around. <laughs> I haven't done years because my feet always hurt so much. So since it didn't, wow. did that, one patient who went for a run, she's like, well, I've, I've not mm. been running. I figured since my foot didn't hurt. But then, you know, mm. by the end of the day, I was back. And then they come back for the next treatment. And then it lasts a little long. So, you know, each time the degree of pain management shrinks and shrinks so that hmm. not the degree the extent so that if they only got 40 50 percent relief then they get more eventually they get 100 percent relief it lasts a few hours it lasts and then when the treatment lasts you know a day or more then we stop so that's the other interesting thing about the treatment hmm. is it's never the same each day so the person comes in and they're like two days ago my pain was from my knee down now it's only from my ankle down well, now we're going to change where we put the electrodes. So every, mm -hmm. every day, you know, there's reassessment. And, and if, if the pain's gone, then there's nothing to treat because our whole setup is based on where their symptoms are. So, again, right. it, it's understandable. Somebody's had pain for a long time and they're like, oh, my pain's gone. It's been seven treatments. It's like, well, just give me a treatment today so we can be sure. And we're like, well, yeah. there's nothing to treat because your pain's gone. It's amazing. Um, so that's the amazing thing. Some people's brains get, you know, it's the, the, the guy from the company who, who, who set us up and trained us. He's like, you know, it's, it's like, it's like a student, you know, the brain brains are like different students. Some go to school and they pick up the coursework quickly and others take more time. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, yeah. nothing to do with how smart somebody is. Just <laughs> right. Biological. Right. It's amazing. Yeah. Some people, a few treatments, they're good. Some people need, you know, I said the average is 10. Some people need 12. Some people need 15. But then uh, then once the pain is gone or is, you know, reduced as we're going to get it, then it generally stays that way for a long time. Some patient wow. never comes back, which is amazing. Hmm. More often it does come back, but, uh, you know, months or a year later, uh, hmm. what most often happens is people get need need like a reboost um, a couple of times, three times or so every year, but then they mm -hmm. only like one, one, two or three. They only need a handful wow. of treatment. So I guess it's to incredible. keep it down, 
me is the brain sort of forgets the schoolwork and it needs a refresher course, but it doesn't have to <laughs> right. It doesn't have to repeat the whole semester. It just needs a few classes and then then it's okay. Yeah. So um hmm. it's been it's been amazing to see. So fascinating and so so hopeful. Um so you talked about neuroplasticity a little bit. Can you explain to the audience? I, I study this stuff now too because I'm doing everything I can to heal both naturopathic and, you know, medicinally and the whole combo. But could you explain what neuroplasticity is and how it works with this? Sure. So, I mean, in, in a, just a simple sense, neuroplasticity is, is healing of the brain, getting a little more elaborate. It's, it's compensation. So, you know, if, if, if some part of the nervous system is damaged, I mean, you know, we are everybody or most everybody sort of, learn somehow when we walk around with this factoid in our head that nerve cells, you know, are like the only cells that can't regenerate. And in some extent that's true. So again, if, if the actual nuts and bolts and operating part of a, of a neuron named for a nerve cell, we call it the cell body. Once that's damaged, then it's game over. There are parts of the nerve though, parts of the nerve cell that can be damaged and can regenerate. But so generally what, what, when people recover, so say somebody has a stroke and they they can't speak, they can't move one side of their body, that's because a, a certain number of nerve cells that control those functions have been damaged because of um, impaired blood supply. And so people do get, can, do get better. So how does that happen if the nerve cells can't regrow? Is well, nerve cells that are still around sort of shift in, in how they work. And so they take on new take on new jobs. I guess I, I like analogies. And so like, yes. if you've got an office of workers and then certain employees do these jobs and they all quit or were fired or they're left sick or they're just not there anymore, then be like the other, the existing coworkers or well, um, I don't really know what, I never really did Bob's job, but okay, let me, <laughs> in addition to my job, I'm going to stay late and I'm going to do Bob's job. And and the guy next to me is going to do Steve's job and we'll do Kelly's job. And then, you know, they sort of learn the other people's jobs. And then you've got the same, the existing employees doing the same work that the, that the whole team had once done. And, and so, you know, in that analogy, it makes sense. But in, in when we think of neuroplasticity, I'll do, how does the body, how does the body figure out how to, how to get the job done? And uh, it's, it's always interesting because, no two people are the same and you can take a dozen or more individuals who seemingly have the same situation and some of them you know neuroplasticity seems to happen very well and very smoothly and others it doesn't happen at all and uh, mm -hmm. we're, we're obviously very happy that neuroplasticity can occur and, and certainly much work remains to be done to, to figure that out again you know there may be therapy you know, or there definitely are certain therapies you know, just certain physical therapy, there's certain maneuvers, you know, the holy grail is, is, is some sort of medicine or drug because we always, we all love easy things. So if there's some sort of treatment, that would be the holy grail of how to boost neuroplasticity. But um, what we've come to realize is that there's a lot of non-medical things. So some so-called neuromodulation um, or electrical modulation, again, using non-medicines, using electrical equipment using things like Calmer or other uh, ways of stimulating the brain with electricity in certain ways uh, 
or, or using magnets or magnetic waves or, or stimulating in ways that help boost neuroplasticity. So that's certainly a, is, is an exciting and, and hopefully even more fruitful field that continues to evolve. Very interesting. Yeah, thank you for that. So yeah, so it's interesting because I'm hearing it now from your medical explanation. And I, I don't know if you've heard of Dr. Joe Dispenza. Are you familiar with him? No. Yeah. So he, he talks a lot about neuroplasticity and he kind of focuses his attention on something called brain rewiring. And, you know, the fact that we can, we have the ability to, you know, with our, with our minds alone, kind of rewire how our brain processes these feelings and the, you know, so it's, it's kind of a similar, you know, it's a very similar outcome, different ways of getting to the same place. But, um, but that's something I've been doing and it's been, it's been really working quite well. So, but yeah, but, you know, I think, you know, it's interesting how you say some people it works, you know, quicker for some people, not so quick. And just from my experience and working, you know, talking with and working with people that, that have these illnesses, I found that the people that truly believe in their heart of hearts and their minds that, you know, that they can get better and that they, you know, and they have that power to, to do that. I think there's more of a receptivity to being open to these kinds of things and therefore possibly they're, they're more likely to work more quickly. So it's just my, my own little non-medical yeah. <laughs> experience, yeah, but yeah. Definitely a factor. And again, as you were just talking about rewiring and so forth, and uh, I mean, again, in, in, in a, in a simplistic way that, you know, the old mind over matter. I mean, that's basically neuroplasticity. I mean, using, right. you know, kind of modifying uh, how things are with um, just, just with our, with our minds. And um, just one other quick point is it's not necessarily, you know, when we see some people recover more quickly and others less quickly, it's not always has anything to do with the duration. So you'd think that somebody mm. who's the problem for decades well, they're going to respond slowly and somebody who's had the problem, you know, just for a few months is going to respond more quickly. And um, that's not always the case. So again, we just don't understand all this fully, but some people, you know, who have had problems for a long time can respond much more quickly than people who have had it in shorter periods. It's incredible. It's incredible. So what, are there any um, contraindications for, you know, people that this would not be a good thing for? There are, I mean, not surprisingly, if somebody has some sort of implanted device, that's a contraindication. If somebody has a spinal cord stimulator, which fortunately those are those can be put in to treat pain, but they don't always work. So, um, you know, somebody has a pacemaker, or again, there's more and more medical devices that get implanted. Some of those aren't absolute, and it depends where we're stimulating. As you can imagine, if you're a company that makes a machine, you're just sort of going to list as contraindications that are potentially, you know, I guess what I'm saying is it hasn't been studied. So certain things will be contraindicated, not because there's evidence that it's a problem, just because nobody's really sure. And, and, and certainly there's, uh, nobody's gone through the fence and trouble of doing a study to, to prove right. it. But um, along and the short of it is if there's some sort of implanted device. So that's a, a hard contraindication. It's not a contraindication, but what what turns what I find to be the biggest barrier of whether Calmer will be a successful or a potentially successful option is 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 where where the pain is, uh, where the mm. problem. You know, as I mentioned, our goal is to get the electrode sort of above 
and outside of the affected area. So you can imagine if somebody has pain that's diffuse or, or affects almost everywhere, then it gives you, doesn't give you a lot of places to go. And, and those are, mm. Sometimes we still have success and, you know, we, we, we generally, you know, there's no, not a downside to trying it, but those are in situations where I see us running into, uh, you know, problems. You know, I always, when somebody's, you know, telling me where their pain is and I'm thinking ahead of potential options and this Calmera potential option, I'm thinking, well, that's a bummer because, you know, based on their distribution it limits where we put it. And, um, hmm. It certainly can work. Sometimes we're just putting the electrodes, you know, at the spine and sort of getting very close to to where the problem is. And uh, and, it, and in some situations, it works fantastically. And but again, if if it's if it's something out in an arm or a leg or or even a discrete area, of the chest or abdomen, that we can sort of encircle or get, you know, our, our chances of success are greater. So, so you mentioned the abdomen. Can it be used for gastrointestinal pain as well? <laughs> maybe um maybe so it's very interesting i mean you know why it even works nobody's 100 percent sure you know we, we certainly have started using it just for you know we think of nerve pain i mean again mm-hmm. if you if you if you get punched in the chest or something uh you know for just it's not going to work for all sorts of pains but um we've certainly seen it work in pains uh, we and others work in pains that we would not have thought would be so you know there's there's multiple channels on the device and so you can treat more than one area so sometimes you know mm-hmm. they will come in and it's like all right you know this this nerve pain in your arm that that definitely amenable and we're going to treat that and they'll say well you know but i get this this shoulder pain or this neck pain and and you're like well, it could be from a pinched nerve but it's i don't know it seems more you know, musculoskeletal, it's like, all right, you're here. We got extra channels. Let's put an electrode there. And then mm-hmm. sometimes that's the pain that responds completely. And then the nerve hmm. pain, you know, didn't respond much. Or, or uh, so, again, we're always in to see. So, uh, you know, aside from nerve pain, another big area where Calmer is used is in, is in cancer pain. Hmm. Uh, so, and where it got its start was in neuropathy that was from chemotherapy. So oftentimes mm-hmm. chemotherapy do a good job of fighting off the cancer, but they can be very toxic to nerves. Um, right. And so a lot, a lot of the studies had been done on chemotherapeutic induced neuropathy. And so oncologists, you know, have been familiar with it. And so they've actually, there's been studies of the Calmera on like pain, you know, caused by a local spread and metastasis of the cancer. So um, there's a lot more that we need to learn about it. And I wouldn't be surprised. And, you know, we, we look at it more and more. And, uh, you know, the, the, some of the people from Calmer have, you know, anecdotally looked at, you know, people with gastroparesis or, you know, things where their their muscle doesn't, stomach doesn't work well. And uh, and it's been helpful. It, it, it can be more hit and miss and, and where to put the, uh, the electrodes. But again, there's, there's, there's not a down, you can't hurt. <laughs> Can't hurt right. anything. Sure. That's great. So, uh, yeah, I think I, I saw on the website that arthritis, it helps potentially with arthritic pain. Is that something you're familiar with? Uh, again, I mean, theoretically, we think it'd be less helpful, but hmm. here's the kicker is, is that all pain is mediated by, by nerves. And so, right. and, and there's definitely, um, 
good research that shows people with chronic arthritis do develop uh, what we call a central component. So the idea that you know, if you've got inflamed nerve endings in your knee, for instance, from arthritis, and it's chronic, and those, those nerves are always firing, eventually what happens is that the brain, you know, so it's neuroplasticity in a bad way. So we, we think, you know, we've been talking about neuroplasticity a good thing. Well, it, you know, your brain can get trained to expect pain and sort of be more susceptible to pain. And that's can what happens. We call it, we call it central amplification of pain. And so, mm-hmm. you know, after you've had chronic pain for a while from something arthritis, it's, it, it's hard to tell. So some of the medications that we use for peripheral nerve, like Cymbalta, you know, can help with arthritis and actually have indication for that. Mm-hmm. Indication means the FDA approved by the FDA as being shown to be effective. And so, you know, it, it can be hard to know. There's not, we really don't have any tasks to tell us if there's central pain. And so mm-hmm. it may be simply that Calmare can help with arthritis, but um, if it helps with arthritis, it may be because it's helping us sort of a central nerve component of it. So it's brain's been inappropriately trained to expect that that area is always going to hurt. And then we just need to retrain it, you know, not to think that way. Kind of like a a phantom limb symptom. I saw that that was the other thing that it potentially can help with, you know, where you don't have the limb anymore, but you're still feeling the pain as though the limb was there. So it's like the brain has, has developed this, uh, belief that, you know, that pain's going to continue to be there. So, yeah. And obviously we think of, you know, the brain is, you know, what makes us think. And we, Mm -hmm. we think the brain is obviously very sophisticated, but I often joke with patients that, you know, the brain is very simple. It's a very trusting, or maybe it's like, you know, we all know people who are very smart, but have no, you know, street sense. So the brain's kind of (laughs) like, right. So like if a nerve tells the brain, this leg is on fire, the brain just takes the face value and it's like, all right, I'm going to register signal that the brain's on fire. So again, that's our goal is to, is to, you know, retrain the brain to, to ignore those inappropriate signals. And that's like phantom limb, the limb's not there, but the, the silly little brain, you know, thinks it still is. And so we, we're never going to persuade the brain that it's not there. So we just need to get it, figure out ways to, you know, get those pain signals to change. Right. So if somebody wants to pursue this therapy, what I, I know there's only a few places in the United States that actually offer it. And I have a global audience, but um, what, what would be kind of the first step? Let's just focus on the United States for now. What would be the first step if somebody wants to pursue this kind of therapy? Well, probably the, the easiest way is so Calmare, again, C-A-L-M-A-R-E, has a website and they list sites that have on their machines. So that's probably the easiest way. Uh, some patients have told me that's not always 100% up to date, but it's, it's, it's pretty good. So they'll list centers that have it, or at least have had the machine. And then, you know, usually their websites will tell you if they do it or not. But, you know, I have to say one of the biggest impediments to people getting Calmera therapy is that as of right now, it's not recognized by insurance. So it's one mm-hmm. of those. That was my next question. One of those cases where, where things lag behind in, in, in Medicare and commercial insurance is by and large, not 100%, but by and large view it as quote unquote investigational, which is that term they throw out whenever they, you know, feel there's not enough evidence to quote prove something, but allows them to 
to deny it. So it's used a lot in the Department of Defense. So there's certain, you know, hmm. military hospitals have it, but then also by extent, uh, even though they're separate, the VA is separate from the Department of Defense. The VA often covers it. Again, I don't know how many VAs have it. And then some commercial insurances cover it. Interestingly, Workman's Comp will cover it. I think. Hmm. And, and so it's not a blanket fact that, you know, no insurance will cover it, but, but most don't, which makes it hard. So it's a cash pay endeavor. Again, we, right. you know, the thing I like about it, as I said, is that, you know, generally we can get a fairly good indication with that first treatment, whether somebody's going to mm. candidate or not. So rather than say, well, you know, pay us for 10 treatments and well, right. it'll suck if it doesn't work and it's great if it does. But again, generally, if that first treatment, we can't find a placement in the electrodes that, you know, generates reduction of pain that lasts longer than, than the actual session, which is, is like, by the way, is like 45 minutes per session. Okay. 30 to okay. 60 minutes. So they're not long, they're short. Are there any side effects? Do people have, you know, pain or any sort of other, you know, fatigue or any other side effects? There really aren't. So, I mean, it can stir up pain. So people with certain conditions where their nerves are already sensitive, like complex regional pain syndrome. I mean, it's certainly, there's been situations where it aggravates that. Again, obviously we take great care to stay out of the pain area, but uh, I mean, it is interesting because we find areas that we wouldn't think would be part of the area because the sensation's normal and the person doesn't have any symptoms. But as I said, if we have the electrode in that area, it's painful and we move it just a, we scooch it just an inch or so upward or away from that. And then there's not pain. So we, it, hmm. you know, I've not used it that way, but I've always toyed with the idea of it can kind of be a diagnostic tool where you can kind of map out the extent of, of, of injury is based on how the people the sensation. So, so it could stir up pain, but it, it's not something that's going to last more than a few hours or the rest of that day. And so there's no lasting effects that I've seen or, or heard of. So. Great. All right. Very good. Well, it's very, very hopeful. And uh, I, I may talk to you about it for me personally. <laughs> so getting off of the, the calm air and just getting back to just in general, so the, the name of my podcast is The Chronically Courageous. So I like to ask people questions. Um, typically, I ask, how do you define courage? But I'm going to ask you, from, from your perspective, what is it that gave you the courage to kind of step outside that box of this, you know, secure group practice that you were in and, and you know, doing, doing the thing that a lot of doctors do and just going about the, you know, kind of the normal, maybe easier route? and starting the Center for Complex Neurology, EDS, and POTS? Yeah, that's a good question. And people do say, it's like, wow, that was really brave or courageous of you. And then I say, either that or foolish. <laughs> it, is, it has been an interesting experience because, I mean, as you might imagine, <laughs> I'm one of those people who's very calculating and careful and cautious and, you know, you know, analytical and you know usually slow to make decisions and you know big decisions without you know making a spreadsheet or weighing the facts <laughs> right and your scientific mind but for this I, I i made i made this decision more quickly than some of the others i think you know we all have those days at our jobs where you know there's something about it 
that you know really gets you upset and you're like boy this is this is frustrating and then you just think about wow you know if if i did this I had my own practice i could just do this this way and not have to you know use this computer system or use this method of scheduling and then that just became intoxicating like once i had mm -hmm. that obviously that was always a possibility but i just thought you know i, I should do this and then i just it was just weird, but I felt like, well, I just can't not do this. And then uh, the timeline just kept getting moved up. So it was like, all right, we'll do this, but we'll obviously it's going to take time. And then I'm like, once I started thinking about it, it's like, oh, I don't want to, <laughs> I just want to do it sooner or later. And my, my poor wife, Fran, who um, <laughs> my partner in crime and, and runs the practice, so she, she actually has a background in healthcare administration. Uh -huh. medical practices years ago and had gotten out of that business and become an artist and uh it turns I've seen out her artwork a really good artist yeah. also a, also a really good administrator and uh business manager hopefully but i'm like you've got these skills we've got a and that was part of it is like oh, you've got these skills you know <laughs> get these skills you've got these skills it's like it, it, i think if anybody could pull this off and so uh, it's just sort of just an enthusiasm and, and an excitement to be able to do this and then you know the yeah. back of uh you know being able to help people like you and others and seeing how we you know i've always had impact as a physician but um I, again you know it, it seems like an exaggeration but it's definitely it's, it's it's absolutely not to say that every literally every day there's a situation, you know, where I see a patient who's just not gotten answers for, you know, well, their whole life or for decades or for at least, or even many, many years. And I've just been told there's nothing wrong with them. It's in their head. And, uh, you know, being able to um, tell them that it's not in their head, it's not their fault, mm -hmm. what it is. And, uh, you know, in medicine, we're not always able to fix things or improve things as much as anyone would like, but uh, there's a power just to at least know what's going on. And, you know, just time, as you can attest to, you know, the many disparate threads of, of EDS and diseases like this and the idea of like, so wait, not only, you know, I was, if I could get an answer of why I have this problem, I'd be happy. But now you're saying, so this problem, that I've had all my life, and this problem that I've had all my life, and this problem that I've had for the last few years, they're all part of the same problem. The same thing, yeah, yeah. Um, so again, the first step is, is knowing what's going on, and then fortunately, beyond identifying it, there are things that we can do, and so it's, again, very gratifying. Yeah. So it's it sounds to me like, in a nutshell, it's your, your passion for, for helping people is what, what drove you to take that courageous step. Yeah. 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 I love that. That's awesome. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure and I'm so thankful for your time. Again, I know you are in high demand and I'm just so blessed to have you right here in the same state where I live because there's people that, you know, with these rare conditions, they don't have anybody anywhere close to them and they have to actually travel, you know, several states to get the proper care. So Thank you for doing what you do, for being who you are, and for helping so, so many of us. I, I truly appreciate it. I'm grateful. I'm eternally you're grateful. You're welcome, and thank you for what you do. This is a great service as well, and uh, it's been a very 
enjoyable interview and it's it's gone very i think very smoothly so uh yes good on yes I would agree. Hello, my beautiful friends. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I found it so encouraging to see that the medical community is delving more into pain relief solutions that don't involve either taking a pill or going under the knife. So if you would like to learn more about Calmare therapy, I will include a link to that in the show notes, as well as a link to Dr. Saperstein's website, so that you can find out more about him and his practice, which is the Center for Complex Neurology, EDS, and POTS. His website is www.complexneurology.com. Dr. Saperstein also has a presence on Facebook and Instagram. Both are at Center for Complex Neurology. Again, it will all be in the show notes, so no worries. Finally, If you've been enjoying the podcast, I would so appreciate you taking five minutes to write a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and if you take a screenshot of it and send it to me on either email or Instagram or Facebook, I will send you a gift in the mail. So if you send that review to me along with your address, you can expect a little present from me in the mail, and... The other thing is, if you're enjoying any of these episodes, please share them on social media. I would absolutely love that. Please tag me. Let me know what you thought. And also share it with friends and family that you think it might be of help to. I mean, it's the holiday season. It's the season of giving and it costs nothing to share a podcast, but it can make a big difference in someone's life. So with that, everyone have a very happy, healthy and safe Thanksgiving here in the U.S. And all of my friends internationally, stay safe, stay healthy, and know that you are all loved. It means the world to me that you took your time and energy to listen to this entire episode of The Chronically Courageous. If you know others that would benefit from listening, please share it with them. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your podcast player of choice. I welcome your feedback and questions. So please email me at bonnie at the chronically courageous.com. That's B O N N I at the chronically courageous.com. As always, I'm sending you so much love, happiness, and healing.